When you rent or buy a podcast, you need to be sure that the one you choose will be suitable for the audience at home. While it's upbeat from the outset, this program has been classified as containing alcohol, profanity, and a pair of hosts who probably don't know what they're talking about. Complaints about this should be left in the middle of a five-star iTunes review. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This week on Peggy Mount's podcast. Terry, if you haven't watched it, that's fine. But there's no need to say you have and then drop yourself in the shit. Hey, dear yes. God, just, just don't mention it at all, Terry. And whenever Alan walks up to anyone, they turn around and go, Volume! And walk away. <laughs> Welcome back to the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr. Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here once again to talk about the telly. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us on our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info for the episodes we're discussing uh, will be in the show notes there, and you can get in touch to say hello or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we push away from the dock this time, Dr. Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? Do you know, I've gone for wine. I've gone for a Malbec. Oh, good man. Yeah. Yeah, a nice... It's a, it's a, I've warmed it as well. I have chambrade, said Malbec. And, uh, yeah, I think I need it. Lovely job. Uh, yeah, what about you? I am on the Timothy Taylor's Landlord. Oh, nice. A, a nice drop of pale ale, as I believe people of my generation see. Well, you'll enjoy that. Actually, before we get started, we've um, we we've had a letter this week. Can I read it out? Oh, you can. I love I love it when we get letters. Let's, Go for it. Let's do the post back. Right, <clears throat> dear Mounting, re- regarding your recent dissection of an episode of Swap Shop, you spent five minutes going over the interview where Bucks Fizz openly gave different origin stories of their Eurovision winning dance routine yet failed to mention the phone-in section where one member of the band mimed the words go fuck yourself to camera at a fan who was calling in to ask when Abel were going to be back on. I assume this is because you watched the sanitised BBC anniversary DVD of the show rather than the multiple VHS recordings of the actual broadcast which have been uploaded to the YouTubes over the years. Call yourselves popular historians, I'd just as soon listen to Dave Lee Travis's history of black metal again. With love... Keith Chegley, London W twelve eight QT. Well, thanks, Keith. We'll um, we'll bear that in mind. Helpful advice as ever. Now onto the first show, which I can promise you is out of this world. Yes, your immenseness. Yes, this is the first animated episode of Mork and Mindy from 1982. Uh, they began this after the live-action one had ended, but it's set beforehand as a prequel when Mork enrolls in college and first meets Mindy. Uh, Robin Williams voices Mork, of course, and Pam Dorber also returns as Mindy. In this first episode, Who's Minding the Brat? Uh, it's written by Len Jensen and Chuck Menville. 
it was broadcast as part of an ongoing animated sort of anthology series with uh, similar spin-offs from The Fonz and Laverne and Shirley. All right, good. You've told us about that. That's fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire some names at you, all right? Okay. The Partridge Family, 2200 AD. Okay. Yeah, The Gary Coleman Show, Bonicula, The Vampire Rabbit, as you've just stated, Laverne and Shirley, and Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, and Mr. T. Mr. T! Mr. T! Yes, that's right, Mr. T. Mr. T! Ken, you remember Mr. T, don't you? Mr. T! Ken remembers Mr. T. Mr. T! He's holding up a sheet of paper saying Mr. T. Mr. T! Well done, Ken. <laughs> the reason I bring these up is because none of these shows needed to be made. <laughs> Not one, and mo- and, mo- and, mo- and Mark and Mindy is is no exception. Is, is this now on the list? <laughs> it's on the list, all right. Come on, then tell us what happens in this episode. Come on, give us a give us a, a synopsis. Okay, in this one, the um, <clears throat> the college principal Carruthers goes to a party dressed as a giant banana. Mark ends up babysitting his daughter. Uh, she gets turned into an actual alien for an hour. Everyone just takes this in their stride. There's lots of scarpering and falling over with the sound effects you'd expect from Hanna-Barbera. It's 11 minutes long and it's dreadful. It's it's utter, <laughs> utter... I've got one thing going for it, one thing, right, Is and, and this is annoying to me. If it doesn't happen, they, as you correctly said, they did get Robin Williams in and Pam Dorber to do the voices. And he isn't in this episode, but they did get Conrad Janison as well to play her father. Um, but even Robin Williams sounds bored in this. I think it's because they've like obviously they've done him in a in a recording booth and they've just taken out the bits they want. He's not allowed to go sort of full flow. They're not going to animate all of that. No, no. That's ex- you know what that was the exact thought that I had. Um, it's like he's been sedated. Um, he's he's his voice is very slow. Um, it really sounds like someone has said to him, "Oh, rein it right in mind." Yeah, it's because they're getting him to read lines. He could. Yeah, I'm not saying he wasn't following a script in the live action show. Oh. Uh, Point of order, by the way. By this point, they'd had 94 episodes of Mork and Mindy, the live action, right? 94, that's almost 100 episodes of a massively successful sitcom. And the best they could come up with is, oh, by the way, he's got an alien dog with six legs and he goes to school now. With an eyeball in its arsehole? Well, it's in the tail. <laughs> it's in the tail, but, I mean, it's close enough. It's... Again, to the show's credit, it's a fair assumption that by 1982, the audience know the basic setup of Mork and Mindy. That's fine. What's impressive is that Mork's six-legged poodle, Boing, uh, isn't introduced or explained in any way. It's just there. It's just it's just his alien pet. He's an alien. He's got an alien pet. Or has he been back to his planet again? No, no, this is when he first came down. In between, this is a prequel. In between the cartoon and the live action, that dog's been killed. Yes. <laughs> en- yes. Enjoy this, kids. Saturday morning cartoons. That dog's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It was called Boing, did you say? Yeah, Boing. B B O I N G. Boing off. <laughs> Pink prick. I hated it. Oh, I hated God it. There was almighty. no need for it to the, be there um, whatsoever. Now, as I said, they're only like 10, 11 minutes long. Ten minutes if you take the titles off. They made... Can I point out the titles? Sorry, before we go anywhere. The theme yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that 
is well first of all the theme music is just a remix version of the Sanford and Son theme tune which was um, America's interpretation of Steptoe and Son which sounds I'll, I'll compare it right now I'll play it now is that the one which had a guest star from a guest appearance of Mr T, Mr. T. <laughs> no it isn't but <laughs> okay. I, I'm not sure okay. that, I, I'm not sure that Mr T was in that at all we don't know um, <laughs> yeah so right I'll play it hang on There, you see what I mean? Similarity. Oh, it's, it's there. yeah, it, it was it, definitely it re- recorded on the same day. <laughs> uh-huh, without a doubt. We then get into the incidental music score throughout the episode, which is nothing but intrusive. Yeah. Got me nerves. <laughs> <laughs> Did? No. Now, obviously... Can I mention the car? Can I mention the car? Mention the Sorry. car. Mention the car. Be- be- can I, because the, the car is an egg. And you must... You, you would feel like a fucking arsehole sitting in that car riding around the city, mind. You would. Uh-huh. You would. Uh-huh. Ken, Ken, you wouldn't ride in an egg, would you, Ken? Thinking about... He's looking blank. Thinking about the order they're sitting in. I can't remember who holds the steering wheel, but Mork's definitely on the driving side, isn't he? He is, yeah. So he's not been on Earth long. Orson has told him, oh, you, go to school. And he's like... What? And he's like, no, enrol in an actual school. You're a teenager. It won't look weird. It's fine. He's right managed up. to pass his driving test in an egg. He has. In an egg mm-hmm. with, a, with a pink poodle with an eyeball in its arsehole. Yes, yes. And Pam Dorber, who's just acting as if everything is normal. She's there going, yeah, I'm his carer. <laughs> yeah, she is. Um, oh. Now, as mentioned, they're only sort of 10 minutes long, 11 minutes if you put the titles on it. And as is our sort of one with a lot of the episodes we do, this is the very first one, which is fine. Animation is batch produced. It's not like week by week shoots as live action. They made 26 episodes of this. Nah. Or to put it another way, they made this and then they did it again 25 times. (laughs) And for each and every one of them, Robin Williams, who you all claim to like, remember... He agreed to this. Such was the strength of the contract binding him to the recording studio. I mean, to be fair, he probably recorded them all just in a morning and thought, that'll be all right, that'll go out once, they won't use most of that. And then they did. They proved him wrong. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> e, dear God. Awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. It is tragic. It is. Uh, to be, I mean, I didn't mention earlier Fonz and the Happy Days gang. Yeah. That didn't need to be made. I'll correct myself on that, actually, because I used to enjoy that. But... Um, a lot the of the, others. I mean, a lot of the later episodes of Happy Days didn't need to be made. Naturally, <laughs> I think by the time you get to 1982, and they're basically taking a dead horse outside and a table leg, and just you know, you know what comes next. Well, exactly. Yeah, Mr. Carruthers. Then this bloke uh-huh. dressed as a banana for his party. Yeah. Why is that banana pointing the wrong way? If if you're wearing a banana costume, it sort of like curves. Sort of towards and away. It curves in like the direction of your face, not backwards. Your face wouldn't come out of the back of the banana, would it? No. And it's not going to be like any easier to walk either way. It's still like a quite an intrusive costume. Yeah, I don't know. So, so yeah, let's let's. I, th- I think we're done. <laughs> so, my question to you. Yeah. How many pegs would you put on the line? Fucking none. In fact, I'd snap the line and burn it. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> no. I do. I do 
have a soft spot for Hanna-Barbera. I think by this point, their best work was behind them. I do think that the Mork and Mindy animated cartoon was certainly a job that was given to the intern to do on a Friday afternoon. But I'm being generous. Out of the goodness of my heart, I will give this three out of nine. Fucking three? What are you doing? Two of those are pity pegs, but, you know, still. Uh, yeah, they'd have to be. <laughs> they'd have to be. Actually, you know what? All right, maybe I am being a bit harsh. Maybe I am. I'll put one peg on the line because they used the actual cast from the show. I'll give them that. Okay. Question is now, after that, how many steps will it take to yodel up the mountain? Well, I can do it in three. Ah. Oh. Well, I can do it in two. You go first, then, if you can do it in three. Okay. This features the voice of Pam Dorber, who starred in the 1992 comedy Stay Tuned with Jeffrey Jones. He, of course, was in Amadeus alongside Roy Dotrice, who appeared in the 1978 BBC Two Play of the Week, Stargazy on Zomadown with Peggy Mount. I shall keep that egg. Kaboom. Love it. Love it. If you can, okay. if you can do it in two, go for it, sunshine. Mork was played by Robin Williams, of course, who starred in Robert Altman's 1980 Popeye film with Oliver Reed, who plays Bill Sykes in the 1968 musical Oliver, alongside Peggy Mount. Excellent work. Excellent work. Yes. Yes. Well, if that wasn't artificially induced, I'd like to know what was. With that, let's take a break and hear from the people. Last season, Kate Taylor decided to change her husband. This season, she's persuading the other women to change theirs. Lots of women are doing it these days. They're changing their husbands to flora men because men like flora's light, delicate taste. Flora's made with pure sunflower oil, so it's high in polyunsaturates. Is it time to change your husband? Flora, the margarine for men. Wafer and fondant too. Five, four, three, two, and welcome back. Always remember, buy the things. Blankety blank. Blankety blank. Blankety blank. Blankety blank. This is the legendary quiz show which began in 1978, hosted by Terry Wogan. The format is that Tell reads a statement with a keyword blanked out of it. Then the uh, the panelists and the contestants write down what they think is missing from the sentence. The funnier, the better. The contestants read theirs out, and the number of matches they get from the celebrity panel translates directly into points. This episode is from the first series, back end of the first series in 1979, and our panelists are. Derek Griffiths, Peggy Mount, Patrick Moore, Anna Dawson, Paul Daniels, and Lorraine Chase. A superb lineup. So, A superb lineup, I think. Uh, also this week, our contestants are Glennis from Chester versus Alan from Wolverhampton. 
and June from Enfield versus Stephen from Windermere. June's loving it. June's loving it. She is, isn't she? Um, before before we get into it, June is arguably better than any other contestant, but let's save that for when we get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, I was five years old when this episode was first broadcast on the 22nd of February in 1979. Uh-huh. And uh, I was going to say something impressive, like, I absolutely remember it. No, I don't. Of course I don't. <laughs> the first five minutes of this, however, is wonderful. This, it shows exactly what the show is about, and I'm going to describe it as a middle-class anti-establishment anarchy. OK. Les Dawson is great. But Terry Wogan mm-hmm. is God in this church. This yes. really is absolutely built around him, just his easygoing style. This is classic golden era blankety blank. Yes, it is. Although I do have to say, at the very beginning, when the um, the rotating plinth that the contestants are on, when that goes mm. round, you can see mm. the bloke behind that's pushing it. <laughs> yes, I know. That's that's <laughs> my childhood ruined right there. I know. I, I, know. I thought that was like I thought that was someone in the control room with a button. It's not. It's just. Terry, just pushing it around. Now, obviously, obviously, your studio audience are going to see that, but we at home, we're not, we're not meant to know that's the magic. E dear God, <laughs> illusions shattered their mind. Huh? <laughs> um, no, the game crackles on, and we've got, we have got a good set of um, of celebrities up there. Yeah, Derek, Derek Griffiths, of course. Now, interestingly, and this theory's been tested a million times, where they sit, where the celebrities sit, right. The, the the seat defines the behaviour of that celebrity. Okay. So Paul Daniels was sitting in Kenny Everett's usual seat. Yes. Or yes. whatever. Whoever whoever sits in that seat is the naughty kid in the class. They get to be the wild card, do they? Pretty much, yes. Um, Lorraine Chase is always in that seat. Always, always, always. Okay. Uh, um, and there, as if you watch further episodes and go back, you will absolutely see a pattern um, okay. for the for the other seats as well. But certainly, where Daniels is sitting in this episode, yeah, that's the I naughty boy. I did think that Derek Griffiths was he was trying here, but he was uh, Derek Griffiths is very very good on this, even though he, he looks is. he does look like he's walked off the set of the Sweeney where he's been doing a cameo as Shaft. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> oh my God! You've just read me mind. He's absolutely fantastic in this, yeah. but a lot of his um, his joviality is quite sort of understated, and it's completely mm-hmm. drowned out by Paul Daniels. Is that yeah, it is. has that man been on absinthe in the green room? <laughs> yeah. the, I dare say I will. I will. The heckling, out. the flirting. Yes. He is yes. relentless. It's he it is. is absolutely nonstop. Uh-huh. It really, really is. It it even manages to overshadow Derek Griffith's fantastic answer to one of the questions. Um, the, the the little statement is read out, and it ends with he got a kick in the whatever blank. Okay, in the blank kick or, in the blank in the blank and or they, blanks the, or blanks. Derek Griffith's his answer is Uranus. Now yes. Yes, yes. Derek Griffiths seems to be. Derek Griffiths seems to be the only person who realizes what the format of this show is. Yes, the blank yes. parts. They meant it's meant to be. You're meant to put a pun in there, something funny. You're meant to be making jokes. There's an obvious answer. There are a series of joke answers. Anything in between? What are you doing, mate? Why? Why are you on here? It's, it's almost like 
Lenny Bennett is in the corner taking notes going, if I make this and call it punchlines, I think I can do it better by telling people that they're supposed to be jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, dear God. But yeah, yeah, no, Griffiths is fantastic in it. Did, did you pick up the, the outrage, the, the, the point of sheer what-the-fuckery about this episode? Go on. Tells at the start, he's doing his intro. It's like the first time you'll go to a contestant, he'll sort of, uh, to a panellist, he'll say hello to him, you know, have a little bit of a chat. Speaking to Peggy Mount, he references the sitcom You're Only Young Twice, which, of course, yes, we've does. covered. Now, he references this, but because it's on ITV, he can't say its name because it's the BBC and that's not allowed, and I completely get that. Do you know, do you know what he calls it? And I quote, oh. that extraordinary boarding house thing you did. That's Terry, right. if you haven't watched it, that's fine. <laughs> but there's no need to say you have and then drop yourself in the shit. <laughs> eee, dear yes. God, just, just don't mention it at all, Terry. Uh-huh. <laughs> nah, uh-huh. I mean, she, she is graciousness to, to a T. She is mine. Eee. She is mine. And she looks very elegant on that show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Especially, well, she's, there. you know what, she's top and centre where she belongs. That's like the, that's, that's where the throne is. Yeah, well, that's right. Yes. Well, that's that was Beryl Reed's normal seat. That that, that is uh, um, again, which again that backs up the theory of um, certain archetypes sitting in certain yes. chairs. Then, exactly. Yeah, yeah. fair play. Um, and this time around, um, her hairstyle has not been done by the by the sitcom makeup <laughs> department, so it doesn't look like she's gone in there and said, "Can you make me look a prick?" I'll move on to the contestants because, and particularly uh, the performance of one contestant in particular, uh, Alan. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alan? Yeah, is Alan aware that he's on television? <laughs> no, <laughs> he really isn't, does he? He's like, oh, I mean, a bless him. B, mm. what what's the audition process? How do how do we end up how do we end up at a point where someone's gone? I think Alan from Wolverhampton is a clear. This isn't the very first episode. We're six episodes in now. I think it's, yeah, this, this is his time. We need someone who doesn't understand that these are meant to be jokes. And he can just okay. put a random word in and hope that one of the six panellists might have the same brainwaves as him. Alan, man! Uh-huh. Alan, mind. Alan's up against Glennis from Chester. There is a horrendous uh, uh, level of flirting going on with Glennis. Alan would like to be up against Glennis from Chester. And- <laughs> Well, I tell you what, he's the only one keeping that to himself. <laughs> Isn't he? <laughs> oh, Daniels God. and Wogan are on one, there, mind. It is horrific. <laughs> it really is. Oh, dear God. So Alan enraged me at one point, but you know what? It bit me on the arse because the answer to one of his... His response to one of the blankety-blank questions was volume. <laughs> Alan just picked a fucking word... Uh-huh. And just out of context, and just fucking threw it in, because it didn't even make sense in the sentence. It was, uh, it was a BBC sound engineer once told me that he'd learnt during his training, blank and you'll deafen them, blank and you'll deafen them. Right. So you could have like you know cough, sneeze, shout, turn it up too loud. What does Alan choose? So. A BBC sound engineer once told me he'd learn during training, volume and you'll deafen them. <laughs> you what? Alan. Alan, Alan. man. <laughs> <laughs> the after show party, oh. everyone's sort of milling about in the BBC bar. You know, they've got like, uh, they've got it cordoned off just for this. Uh, the contestants of all the shows they've filmed that day are there. And they're all sort of wandering around with the, you know, it's the 1970s, so their glasses of terrible wine. 
and whenever Alan walks up to anyone, they turn around and go, Volume! And walk away. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh, dear. Overall, though, I do find this a very satisfying format for a game show. There's, oh, it's, there's it's constant, superb. constant interaction throughout between the contestants, the hosts, the panellists. Uh, yeah. The gameplay gets tweaked each time, but the format remains the same. So, you know, you always know what's going on. It's nice and relaxed. And it's yeah. hosted by an absolute master. Absolutely. Absolutely. Who's, who's like a supply teacher thrown in at the last minute and has to control the class. But he does that beautifully. He, and he knows that. He's very self-aware of that. But he's, yeah, he's, he's and, just tre- and the class tremendous. knows that as well. <laughs> they do not care. <laughs> they know they can... They don't. Providing it can be broadcast before nine o'clock, they can get away with whatever they want on this. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god! If I'd been some kind of celebrity in the seventies, I would have I would have kicked doors in until I was on Blankney Blank every week. I thought that was ah, <laughs> oh, what fun, what fun, and that's what it's all about. It's great. It is absolutely great. So where are we at at the end of it all? Um, how many pegs would you put on the line? Oh, for Blankety Blank, I'm putting um, out of nine. It's getting. Well, I'm sorry, it's getting a nine. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah, um, I will give this episode a very respectable 8 out of 9. Good. It gets better Good. as it goes on. It's, it mm-hmm. seems a bit clunky. Yeah. It's the sixth episode in the first series, and that's mm-hmm. fine because I know how closely together they film them all. It's not like they're doing one a day, one a week or whatever. They they just yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. rack through yeah. all of these. So I know they're still... Again, there's a few sort of teething troubles here and there mm-hmm. and that kind of shows up I don't think the, sh- the really shambolic nature works as well as it does in something like Punchlines um, but 8 out of 9 this is I, this is solid I could just watch this all day every day yeah without a doubt I have such happy memories associated with Blankety Blank it's just it's faultless in my little opinion the question is how many steps will it take to yodel up the mountain well once again we find ourselves with no steps we're already there Peggy Mount is in this absolutely Fantastic. Excellent Fantastic. work. Okay, that's it for another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Um, get us on the socials. They can do that, can't they, Blackout? They certainly can. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email peggymountpod at gmail.com or we are at peggymountpod on Twitter. Don't forget to go to peggymountpod.com to check out show notes of this episode and to search for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. That would be marvellous. And, and do it. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Click that. Click on that. Mr. T would do it. Mr. T. Mr. T. Yeah, Mr. T. Mr. T. Until next time. Keep, Keep pegging. pegging. The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Eiffel Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Oh, fuck, you know what else I didn't mention? <laughs> when they went through the prizes, one of them was yeah. a fucking... Oh. A, a wicker rocking chair? <laughs> It was, that wasn't what I was going to pick up. Oh, it was go the on. telly. Oh, no. It the, was the telly. The, the telly. One, which looked like a fucking projector. I was going to say, the telly looking like a slide projector is one thing. <laughs> yeah. I could understand that. It's more that there's like a wicker rocking chair, and I'm like, is this where the staff have just fucking brought in shit from home to use as prizes? <laughs> Dear God. Oh, nah. <laughs> <laughs>